0: One of the things that's interesting growing up in a place which is maybe further away, you know, there aren't millions and millions of industries, for example, when I was growing up in West Cumbria. In fact, there was quite a bit of unemployment. So one of the things that was hard, and I think it's got easier with the internet and access to people outside of your physical location, is that there is likely to be a perfect job for everybody where you find a match between something that really lights your fire in terms of purpose and mission and match with the things that you're good at and really enjoy doing. And you may not be able to see it when you're 16 or 18, but it will be out there. So try to focus on running towards things that may look scary (laughs)
1: Uh,
0: and try to make sure that everything that you do adds to your skills in a particular way. Take every opportunity that goes in front of you and maybe you'll find that thing. I'm really confident that most people will find that thing that really lights their fire.
1: Hello and welcome to the Women of the Future podcast, a podcast made in collaboration with the Women of the Future programme platform built to unlock a culture of kindness and collaboration among leaders as well as support and celebrate the successes of women. I'm Kim Rowell and I won the media category at their awards in 2018 in recognition of my continued work as a commissioner, producer and children's author particularly within the mental health remit. I'll be talking to my guests on this podcast about their careers, who or what gave them their first big break their successes, failures and inspirations along the way, and how they came to be a part of the Women of the Future Network. Cara Owen, CMG, has been the British High Commissioner to Singapore since June 2019. As High Commissioner, Cara acts as the UK government's representative and is responsible for everything from political work, trade and investment, to press and cultural relations, as well as visa and consular services. Before taking on the role, Cara was most recently Director for the Americas at the Foreign and Commonwealth Office, having also previously held high-profile government positions in Paris and Hanoi, and as private secretary to the UK's foreign secretary from 2003 to 2005. For her services to British foreign policy, Cara was awarded the most distinguished order of St. Michael and St. George in the Queen's birthday honours list in 2020. A self-confessed proud Cumbrian and mother, and as her Twitter profile proclaims, Liverpool FC fan, food obsessive, history junkie, hiker and reader, Cara is also an ardent supporter and ambassador for the Woman of the Future programme and initiatives.
0: I grew up in West Cumbria in the north of England, so just on the edge of the Lake District near the coast, and my mum was an art teacher, although she was at home for the early years when we were born and my father was a businessman, an engineer by background and I had two sisters and my upbringing was, apart from some challenges around school, my upbringing, my family life was really happy, really supportive, really happy.
1: I found it really refreshing because I was looking on your Twitter account and it was like Proud Cumbrian, mother, LFC fan, food obsessive. And there was this amazing photo of some food. And it, I just found that really, a really nice and great way to be approachable. And I guess that must be just to speak to your own roots and what's important to you. And that must have come from your upbringing, I guess, and your foundations.
0: Yeah, I think I'm really lucky. I am incredibly grateful that I was born into the family that I was born into with the parents that I had and that background. And I think a lot of what I think I I took from them is something that maybe it took me a little while to get back to in my career, but it is the importance of having some, uh, being yourself and being true to yourself and living by the values that you have so I think that took me a little while I always live by my values but comfort with being myself in my own organization took me a little bit longer
1: and how did your school and university experiences help mold you in that guise as well how did they influence you and what were you like as a student were you particularly hardworking, or were you the antithesis were you a bit of a rebel what was school like for you
0: yeah, no, I don't think anybody that was at school with me would call me a rebel. I think I'd say <laughs> any naughtiness until I left home and went to university. Uh, so I enjoyed school. I found it really hard to narrow down the subjects that I was going to study because I basically enjoyed them all. I loved science, I loved humanities, I loved music, so it was quite hard, and languages, so it's quite hard to work out what I was going to study. Um, I guess if there is a sort of challenge in this lovely childhood that I'm painting, it was that I experienced a level of mean behaviour at school, I think, and that was really challenging both in junior school and in senior school, and there were times when I really sort of felt on the outside of everything that was cool and accepted and looked up to, and I think, what did that, t- what did that teach me? Well, number one, it taught me resilience. I kept on going into school, regardless of what was happening at school. But I think it also it also sort of taught me at an early age that some people just aren't going to like you or get on with you, regardless of how you behave. So in a funny way, it's just best to focus on what's important to you and going after the goals that you've got, because you can't actually make somebody's mind up about you, so, you've just got to be true to yourself, live up to your values. You know, if they go low, you go high. <laughs> mm-hmm. Somebody very famous uh, mm-hmm. said, and just carry on and don't lose sight of what you're trying to achieve.
1: I think you're right that it's one of the hardest lessons you have to learn in life and I I have a four-year-old daughter and she's so innocent and just really open and just soaks everything up and she's kind of saved us in the pandemic to be honest because she just lives in the moment and you almost don't want her to have those kinds of experiences but like you say it's important too isn't it because you do have to learn that you can't please all the people all the time you're not always going to be liked and sometimes You can maybe use that to your advantage or just use it to reinforce, like you were saying, resilience and strength of character and things like that, which are really important in formative years.
0: Yeah, I went to a really great talk by an educational psychologist at one of the schools that my daughters were at. And like you, you know, you think about, oh my goodness, the thought of them having the tiniest bit of hurt just hurts Mm. my heart 20 times as much (laughs) as it hurts them. But he said, uh, the big thing I took away from that is that you have to do whatever you can to allow them the space to learn how to bounce back. Now, my kids haven't gone through the teenage years and I do appreciate that there are real challenges for teenagers growing up. I'm sort of, I'm doing quite a bit of reading about what it's like being mother of teenage girls because they're just about to enter those... But I think um, this educational psychologist said, you know, the biggest single thing you can do for your kids is to help them learn how to fail well and work out what they're taking responsibility for, work out what they've got control of and decide what they're going to do as a result of what's just happened to them. And I thought that was really super advice, really hard, really hard (laughs) to make sure that you stand back. But I think it is really important.
1: Let them make their own mistakes, right? But for you, you went on to study history at Sheffield. Yeah. How was that for you? And how you were saying there were lots of choices or lots of things that you liked and enjoyed. How did you decide on history? How did that win through for you?
0: I liked it. Well, I didn't in a sense because I actually went to Sheffield to study French and business studies. Oh, right. <laughs> uh, and... <laughs> And I guess, um, and halfway through, you know, I, I loved French. I realised that business studies wasn't for me. I was sitting in an accountancy lecture and I was thinking, oh, goodness, this really isn't lighting my intellectual fire. And probably if I wanted to become an accountant, somebody could pay me to become an accountant afterwards, as you saw lots of big accountancy firms are taking you on. And uh, I realised that I just had to give in to my first, my biggest love, which was history. And so I plucked up the courage and I called up my dad and said I wanted to change course. And he gave me a bit of a grilling about whether this was the start of me being, what did he say? A bit of a flibbity gibbet and changing my mind for five minutes. (laughs) And I persuaded him that no, I'd really thought about it. And he said, okay, right, I'll support you. And I went ahead and did that. And it was a really, really good decision because studying for my degree wasn't a chore you know I can't remember feeling burdened and ground down by me doing all the studying or doing my thesis or anything like that I loved it so much and I had a brilliant time and I was really lucky that the head of department was one of the foremost British historians in my chosen area of study and so I got to do my first bit of original research working with one of the most amazing teachers and academics we had in that subject so it was one of those sliding doors moments, serendipitous. It meant to be. Yeah. yeah.
1: And what was your first job out of education? I had
0: jobs during education, I was a waitress all the way through school and a barmaid and waitress when I was at university which taught me tons of lessons in terms of handling people and Diplomacy, diplomacy, right? <laughs> the first steps. Absolutely. Um, you know, I always say that, that I learned a lot that I took forward into my future career from that. But then I literally fell off the education convo belt and into the Foreign Office. And I've been working at that since I was 22 when I left university.
1: Can you just talk me through your career at the Foreign Office? Because you've been to some remarkable places and done some quite incredible things. It would be great to hear how you navigated that and what the experiences were like for you.
0: Yeah, it's a it's an absolutely amazing career and I feel incredibly blessed to have had it, because actually I didn't have a plan B, the Foreign Office was what I wanted to do, and I was very lucky to get in. So I guess my first posting was to Hong Kong, and one of the brilliant things about working for the British Diplomatic Service is we really believe deeply in the importance of really understanding the cultures in which you're serving, and part of that, learning the language. So I got to learn Cantonese before I went to Hong Kong, and then I did two jobs while I was there. One was around Consular support, so when people get in trouble, say they've been arrested, or somebody's fallen ill, or they have some financial difficulties, the consular service is there to support, and I set up the team that was getting ready for the handover, from it being a British territory to being part of China, and so I did that, and then I worked in the political team for the last two years in Hong Kong. Then I came back to the UK, and I took most of the next bit of my time working in minister's offices in the Foreign Office, which is a great way to really understand. I mean, you really, you do understand all about the Constitution and where decisions are made and how they're made. But I learned an awful lot being close to a minister who has several jobs. They're an MP, they're a minister in a government, and they're making a bunch of decisions. They're a member of the Parliamentary Party. And then there are sort of well, I, I work for all men, the ministers that I work for. So they're probably a father and a husband as well as everything else. So you learn an awful lot about that. And then after that, I went to Hanoi, which was a very different level of development to Hong Kong, but in a region that I totally loved. And there I was the deputy ambassador. And it was a really exciting time for the relationship. We were developing it into a strategic relationship where it covered lots and lots of different issues. And then my next posting, after a period back in London again, was to Paris, where I was deputy ambassador again, but in a much bigger embassy, in a different type of relationship, you know, much more historic and close and complex. And I learned a huge amount there as well. And then after a spell working on the Americas, as director of Americas, I came out here to Singapore as high commissioner. It's my first job as that kind of ambassador high commissioner rank.
1: The variation sounds, I mean, even you talking about it, you sound massively enthusiastic and it's clearly something that was and is important to you. But on a career level, this type of career in diplomacy and international affairs and international advocacy and those kind of things, it's not easy and it's not straightforward. And like you were saying, there are barriers. You have to be multilingual or at least wanting to learn the culture. Any good ambassador you would hope would want to do that. But what are the biggest challenges that you think you found I mean also you touched on there being a parent and things like that and obviously the male figures that you were working with and having an appreciation of the demands on their time in that regard what were your biggest challenges do you think
0: um I think some of it is finding out how are you going to be a diplomat your way and the foreign office that I joined in 1993 was a lot less diverse than it is now in terms of the people that you see around you I couldn't look above me and see many women, and the women that I saw had taken some, many of them had had some quite challenging life choices. I'm sure they were very happy with their own choices, but it wasn't necessarily what I had in my future. I think that was one of the challenges, thinking through in what felt like quite a male-dominated, quite alpha environment, when I didn't feel necessarily in tune with that, how am I going to find my own voice, my own way of doing this? And it's interesting because the Foreign Office has had a very strong culture, even though over the years it's made massive efforts to recruit very diversely. That has been one challenge, I guess. By the time you get a significant other or a spouse, then you have the challenge of you disrupting their career to come and follow you. Mm. Uh, That always feels like a very, very big ask, And you're very concerned to make sure that they can bloom and where they're planted when they follow you that's something and there's lots of conversations about who is leading at any particular time and how can we try and get maximum benefit for both of our careers and for fulfillment for both of us and for the good of our long-term family
1: so would you say there's a standout moment or maybe a person that stood out for you like you were saying you couldn't necessarily be what you couldn't see but was there somebody that you would say helped mold your interests in in the work that you were doing or helped set you off on a more affirmed trajectory to confirm that what you were doing was the right thing
0: i think one of the wonderful things about working for my organization which is now called the foreign commonwealth and development office is the sheer generosity of colleagues towards colleagues You only have to say, I don't understand this, or can you help me with that? And you will get amazing support and coaching. And through the years, I've had a number of colleagues that have given me just the right bit of advice, or just the right bit of support, or realistic and honest reflection of something that I need to do better at just the right time. And so I think a couple of things, going to work in the minister's office. I went to work in the foreign secretary's office, and I was the first foreign office female to work in the office and it was 2003 and that felt like I had a massive burden I I didn't want to let myself down I didn't want to let my gender down I hadn't joined in the fast stream in the ministry I didn't want to let everybody who joined like me down so I got an awful pressure on myself but actually I was encouraged to go for that job and somebody had seen me working in another area And I think if I hadn't been approached to throw my hat into the ring, I probably wouldn't have done it. And it was one of those jobs that really helped me learn so much and gave me exposure to a very broad range of people. So I think that would be an important moment. And then I had an ambassador in Vietnam who really, really, anytime I was hanging back and letting my lack of confidence get in the way of me really going for something, he'd metaphorically, not physically, push me in in the back to get me to step forward always knowing that he would help if anything was going to go wrong or did go wrong but really just saying come on stop hesitating just go for it and I think he helped me a huge amount in preparing to enter the senior management ranks in the ministry there have been millions of others as well but it would take you a whole 20 podcasts to tell you about it <laughs>
1: I think also that you say, sometimes it just takes someone to endorse you or to believe in you to then reaffirm your own belief in yourself and think, yeah, I can do this. It's just that. Yeah,
0: or well, to give you a tough talking to, another yeah. amazing colleague, female colleague who's ahead of me. I remember feeling very sort of burdened by the fact that I hadn't joined in the elite stream inside the ministry and by that time you know I was what 38 or something like that it's a long time since I joined and I've got a big track record behind me of what I was doing and I saying Cara nobody cares nobody cares she's <laughs> clearly behind and I thought oh yeah nobody cares it just seems to be me and that was a you know that was a really good moment for her to sort of say
1: move on. Mm. Across all the work you've done, would you say there's any one thing in particular that stands out for you or that you're particularly proud of?
0: Um, anytime anybody asks me this question, what jumps into my mind is my team and the people that have been working with me. So my proudest moments when I just feel like sort of crying with pride have all been because a team that I am part of or possibly a leader has done something really extraordinary through collaboration, through ambition, through just having a bit of brass neck to go for something that looked like it was unachievable. And I can think of lots of periods in my career when that's been true, be it in terms of crisis response. So I've been involved in quite a lot of crisis response, for example, the terrorist attacks in France, where it's our job as an embassy to make sure that we're there to work out what's happened, advise Mm. our government, and also be there to support any British nationals that are caught up in things like that. I've also been involved in crisis response from London, for example, when there've been horrendous hurricanes that have happened in the Caribbean and organising to respond to that. And helping a team be as good as they possibly can be are probably my proudest moments, I think. And then there are loads of pinching moments where you just can't believe that, you know, come from this little town in Cumbria, West Cumbria. And here I am standing in the room when the Queen is uh, (laughs) welcoming or the prime minister is welcoming the US president or something like that. (laughs) How did this
1: happen? So those are pretty amazing pinch-me moments. Those pinch-me moments, what do you think you would say to the little girl who grew up in Cumbria? What would you say to her?
0: I think it wouldn't just be to me. It would be to everybody, because one of the things that's interesting growing up in a place which is maybe further away, you know, there aren't millions and millions of industries, for example, when I was growing up uh, in West Cumbria. In fact, there was quite a bit of unemployment. So one of the things that was hard, and I think it's got easier with the Internet and access to people outside of your physical location, is that there is likely to be a perfect job for everybody where you find a match between something that really lights your fire in terms of purpose and mission, and match with the things that you're good at and you really enjoy doing. And you may not be able to see it when you're 16 or 18, but it will be out there. So try to focus on running towards things that may look scary, (laughs) Uh, and try to make sure that everything that you do adds to your skills in a particular way. take every opportunity that goes in front of you and maybe you'll find that thing. I'm really confident that most people will find that thing that really lights their fire.
1: How did you first hear about the Woman of the Future program and what inspired you to get involved with it?
0: So I think it was probably Vicky Trudell's involvement in it from the beginning. So she is a senior female who's gone ahead of me in Landing some of these big jobs, and she was a real passionate advocate for it inside our diplomatic network. So I think that was the first time I'd heard about it. And then of course, the force of nature that is pinky <laughs> <laughs> it really engages as well. And I did it, but when I landed this job, it was a big thing, a big part of what we do to try and make sure that we continue to draw attention to rising female stars who are, blazing trails in all kinds of different economic and government sectors and it was something that I knew that I just really wanted to get involved in and also the kindness and leadership thing really appealed to me
1: because I know that I've benefited from it. Right I have some quick fire questions for you just to finish. Okay. First one, what would you describe as your greatest success? I think continuing to
0: do study while i was doing a big full-time job and had two children under five so i was doing a master's i was deputy ambassador in paris and having two girls under five and my husband said to me i said oh i'm not sure i'm going to be able to do this and he said you won't know until you start and you definitely won't finish it if you don't start so go for it and we'll work it out
1: is that the masters you did at cranford the
0: first one i did at lse right International strategy and diplomacy, and then about 18 months later, I did one at Cranfield on international HR.
1: So it must have gone well for you to do two, I guess. <laughs> I, I, I'd hope, I'd
0: hope. <laughs> <laughs> I feel the
1: itch again. Oh, quite fancy. I keep going no Cora. no don't do (laughs) anything. Are you quite keen to keep that it sounds like you're quite keen to keep learning and to keep pushing yourself because that the sound bonkers. It's
0: really stimulating finding a way that you can actually do some deep academic sense making of the things that you've learned along the way and it just helps you give a real clarity of thought and makes you also like action learning you think through what worked and what didn't and you can have a sort of insight into what might have... A bit of reflection so,
1: as well of what you can yeah, learn yeah. to move forward. Yeah. Okay, um, what would you describe as your greatest failure?
0: <laughs> so probably at a certain point, I was heavily pregnant and I went for a, a range of jobs that were really important to me. It's at one of those levels where I sort of had to pitch to get this next big job and I missed it. I was second about five times. And that was really quite tough. And I was starting to think, oh my goodness, should I just be like bidding down? What should I, what should I be doing Am well, i like, completely off track? And being sort of heavily, heavily pregnant as well, everything felt like it was really important and I needed to land my next thing. So I'd say that was probably the thing that felt like my worst string of failures.
1: And what happened after that though? Because like you say, you felt like giving up, but you clearly didn't.
0: Yeah, and no, I didn't had a word with a mentor and said, Look, like, should I should I be giving up? Uh, and he said, no, really, really keep at it. You know, there'll be reasons why you didn't get those and you just need to keep going. And also, I had a word with somebody that had been interviewed me for something. He'd said, oh, no, 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 your interview approach is fine. You're doing really well. You just need to keep going. And I said, well, it can't be. And I want to be nearly there. I want to be really there. And he took the time to say, well, give me a week. I'm really going to think about that. And then I'm going to come back to you with some advice. And then we had 45 minutes on the phone. And he gave me some really super advice that I've been using since. And I went for it the next time, and I got the next job. I think my baby, my baby was about four weeks old. Oh my goodness, it was that makes one. Yeah.
1: There's also you hear stories, and I remember reading that like Cheryl Sandberg. I refer to her quite a lot, but I mean, obviously, she's not the only woman leader out there. But she was talking about women being reticent to push themselves forwards when they want a family because they just see that they they have to lean back rather than leaning in. And I think she recollected a story of when she'd interviewed a woman who she thought was the absolute best candidate for the job, but she could see that she was holding back. And she was like, you want a family, don't you? What if I said to you, it doesn't matter, we will support you through this, etc." And it feels like that kind of person or that kind of leader is the exception to the rule. But to hear you tell your story of being heavily pregnant and still going for it, which is fantastic, and I would, I would do the same, but a lot of women out there might not what would you say, what would you say to them? Or, you know, I mean, and we appreciate everyone's different.
0: Yeah. So one of the roles that I did inside the farm office was um, head of diversity and equality. And my big focus at the time was trying to crack, why aren't we getting the senior females? And so in the course of that, I did an awful lot of mentoring and one-off discussions with women. And one of the things I noticed is that, while the organisation that we're part of was saying all of the right things about encouraging and wanting lots of senior females. Until people see proof that it's possible, it's really hard for people to believe it. So really cracking that critical mass and making sure that there are people that you can see ahead of you that are doing things in a way that you can recognise is important. But I did notice as well that I felt that women who were having families were making really sort of extreme and long-term choices about their careers that I thought really weren't necessary so they were making the conclusion that if I need to step back at this moment because I want to spend more time with my kids I am therefore choosing family over career and I will miss that bit of the escalator or the conveyor belt or whatever you're thinking of in terms of forward movement it doesn't always have to be up to be having a really fantastic and fulfilling career Um, and so that was one of the things that I gave a lot of thought to you know how can you encourage people not to think that that's an extreme moment that that's just a period of life and that there are definitely ways back in and since Then I have seen lots of women that have had time away in different organisations or with their families and who have found ways to come back in. And some of them are some of my most inspiring colleagues who, when they came back in and they were bidding for jobs and they were applying for jobs, everybody wanted them to come and work for them. And those kinds of people are giving lots of encouragement that you can make those choices. And it's not just women, actually. Men want those choices too.
1: It's great to hear. So the mantra of Women of the Future is kindness and collaboration. What does that mean to you in both your personal and professional life?
0: Oh, um, everything. So I am High Commissioner here in Singapore. We absolutely will not achieve everything that the UK can achieve here in Singapore if we don't have... Perfect collaboration across all of the different departments that I've got, all of the different policy areas, because no one issue sits on its own. Collaboration is one of the core values of the High Commission in Singapore. The others are opportunity, respect and excellence. And it's very, very, very important to us. And kindness. You know, I can think of several times when people have been incredibly kind to me, particularly when you're really up against it and it looks like you're on a moment of kind of success or failure and you could drop off either side. And so I can remember some incredible moments of kindness when somebody's come up to me. And it takes courage for them, because actually when something looks like it's going to fail, lots of people might be tempted to go in the other direction in case it's contagious. But to come up and say what can I do to support or I'm here to support I don't want to get in your way but is there anything I can do I'm incredibly grateful for that and I think people that join our organisation the High Commission for the Singapore what they always say is how welcoming and kind it is and that makes me feel really proud because that is the kind of environment that people can flourish in.
1: Is there anything that scares you?
0: Well, I'm a mum now, so I don't think I need to say anything more <laughs> Everything, <more. laughs> absolutely everything. <laughs> yeah, I'm really driven by, uh, my parents always wanted to encourage me to do my best, and they didn't mind what I wanted to be or do, as long as when I was doing that thing, I had an aspiration to do my best. So I guess one of the things that worries me is if I ever think that I had something difficult in front of me, and I didn't do my best to make it happen, to make it be a success
1: and what's left on your to-do list
0: oh my gosh so much so much (laughs) Um, uh, gosh there is so much there are so many amazing jobs I i would love to be on a board of a totally different type of organization so that i could really continue to learn and also to bring a bit of diversity to their thinking i can see lots of other jobs i want to do inside this organization or inside public service I don't know, my master's could get converted into a PhD at some point. I don't know, there's tons I would love to do. I'm sure I've forgotten something really important that I should have sent. but anyway.
1: Just I see that alone. you're big into biking and hiking and that kind of thing. Yeah. So you got nice and muddy on Mother's Day, which looked fantastic <laughs> to me. I, was
0: like, I want, I want yeah. a piece of that. <laughs> We've got a family motto when I'm out with girls. If you don't come home dirty, you haven't had a good day. So I believe in the restorative and freeing power of nature and uh, getting a bit mucking, which in Singapore, sometimes that can be hard to find. You've got to seek that out. So we do.
1: Cara, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And it's afternoon there and morning over here. So thank you for making it work for us. I'm hugely appreciative. Thank you very much. It was a
0: real pleasure. Thank you for being so lovely to talk to.
1: Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Woman of the Future podcast. If you enjoyed it, please hit the subscribe button. And while you're there, why not give us a rating and review? You know you want to. For more about the Woman of the Future Awards, network and initiative, please visit www.womenofthefuture.co.uk. See you soon.